Hello everyone, welcome to episode number nine of True Cult Pop, the pop and rock and all types of music podcast. It's me, Stephen Hill. Hope you're doing well. Nice to have you all in our company again. And as ever, I am joined by the, um, I'm trying to think of a football analogy for this, Sam. I'm struggling. I'm just You'll get no help okay, from me, mate. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Graham Pohl to my red card uh, to the wrong man in the Australian national team in 2006. That is a crap analogy. Great. It's Sam Slight though, anyway. How are you doing, Sam? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Steve? How are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, mate. I'm all right. I'm quite excited, sort of, because um, this week on the show, the World Cup starts in two days, if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, which is just a mad sentence to be saying in November anyway. But we're <laughs> going to be talking about football and football songs. And we are joined by a very special guest, a man who is a football fan, and he knows a thing or two about music as well. As a frontman of Therapy, he's released 15 studio albums over a 33-year period has sold 2 million albums worldwide, has been awarded the Kerrang! Album of the Year in 1994, been nominated for MTV Awards, a Mercury Music Prize, and most importantly, he's bitter, he's twisted, James Joyce is fucking his sister. It's our great pleasure to introduce to True Cult Pop, Mr. Andy Cairns. How are you, Andy? I'm great, thanks very much, Stephen. What a welcome, I'll take that. <laughs> yes, how's, the, um, how's the, the sort of the celebrations, the ongoing celebrations for your 30th anniversary have kind of elongated into this, you know, due to COVID and everything, um, what is it now like three three and a half four years of like celebrating your 30th anniversary yeah it is i mean we we didn't we released a greatest hits album recorded at abbey road and we were about to go on tour covid hit and then we had a few years off so this year alone by the time it gets to christmas i think we'll have done over 100 gigs so we've crammed everything in we've been all over europe uh been around the uk a couple of times been to ireland it's been really great fun catching up with everyone and I think post-COVID everyone's just so up for it so it's been a bit special we're, we've done three gigs already where we've played some really early material mm. in small venues in places that we hardly ever play in, and that's been really really amazing amazing yeah i mean i i actually i was going to come to i think something happened that meant i couldn't come down to the reading show that you guys are playing uh earlier in the year i think it was earlier in the year so i've missed you but i have seen you guys a whole bunch of times over the years and um every time i walk out of a therapy show i list 20 that then become 30 that then become 40 that now again up to like 50 songs that i go well they didn't play that 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 and that how hard <laughs> is it when you've got such a massive back catalog to to go this is all the songs that we need to play to kind of represent our whole career. It, it's insane because at the minute, you know, to give you an idea, before we started this tour, we called the tour We Love Your Early Stuff and we're going to go right back to the very first two EPs and stuff from the mid-noughties that we hardly ever play. And uh, the three of us share the social media duties and I do Instagram or Twitter. We, we, we change it about. But the week that we announced the tour, I was doing Instagram and, you know, it's got to the point where we get disappointed. People will say, oh, well, as you've said, Stephen, you never played this song, you've never played this song. So because we played the greatest hits on the first part of the tour earlier in the year, that was our 12 top 40 UK hits, plus stuff off Trouble Govern and Infernal Love. We got a lot of messages through to Instagram that started off, will you be playing such and such a song from your first album? By the end of three days, it literally was, if you don't play this song from this album, I'm never going to see you guys again. There was It was close to death threats. It was people going, I'm coming down to Guildford, and if I don't hear such and such, I'll never be coming to see you again. And in a way, it's sweet because people care so much about these tracks. But where do we even begin? So we've kind of written something that we kind of hope will encompass the band's early career while at the same time 
adding a bit of fun for everybody. Nice. Well, you probably, presumably, I mean, I don't know this, but I would imagine there's going to be 10, 12 more songs that will be trying to fight for space on your set list soon. Like, have you thought about new material? Has anything else come? It's been a while. I think this is one of the longest gaps between albums that you guys have ever had, isn't it? It's a very, it is the longest gap. I mean, we recorded, believe it or not, this is what, October? Last November, we recorded our brand new album. We finished it. We recorded it at Marshall. They have a studio in Milton Keynes now beside the Amplifier Factory. We did a 10-track album with Chris Sheldon, who people know from doing Trouble Gum. He's done Biffy Clyro. He's done the Food Fighters um, and Feeder. Well, he did the album. The album is great. And it's kind of, t- if you like trouble, if you like melodic, sort of empathetic, alternative pop rock songs with big riffs, propulsive drums, it's, it'll be right for you. And it's 21st century version of therapy. But we decided there's no point releasing it. We recorded it in November. No point releasing it last year, coming up to Christmas. Then we realized we had all these gigs to do that we put off from COVID. There was no point doing like a set of old material and then having to shunt in some new tracks. And then it got to this November and the record company said, well, if you release it now, people have got better things to spend their money on, which they do. And obviously people are in a real pickle this year with the, the crisis and the economy and energy prices. So we've decided it will come out next March. So the album will be released next March. It's 10 tracks. It's called Hard Cold Fire, which is after a Northern Irish poet, Louis McNeese, who talks about the hard cold fire of the Northerner with uh, it's like he almost has basalt in his veins, like the rock that's indigenous to the north of the country. Um, yeah, it's we're really proud of it, but you're going to have to wait to March. <laughs> well, bugger. Uh, look I forward. Yeah, look forward. Look forward to March. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I I, th- I think I've said this to you before, Andy. Like for me, and I've said this on many podcasts and various things over the years. Like one of the most reliably, consistently great bands that you know anywhere in alternative rock has produced so i have full faith in your new album being great but uh that's for the future let's talk about the present before we go any further we get into the the thing today i should um do a little kind of shout out to our patreon page if you go to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop you can sign up for our exclusive content this coming saturday we've got a your cult pop on destroyer by kiss no love gun love gun Oh, it was Love Gun, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows me right. how much attention I was paying to Kiss. <laughs> you a Kiss fan at all, Andy? No, but I know every single song because for years we had a merchandise guy called Diamond Dave, who's now a, a DJ on a show that I probably can't mention on this one. But everybody knows who he is. And he's Kiss are one of his favourite bands. So I know every track on every album. I not only know that, but from having late nights in the back of a tour bus, I know every stage move Gene Simmons has ever pulled. <laughs> So I'd have to say, if you ask the band, I know that Kiss Alive 2 is Neil's favourite album for Kiss because he's told me that himself. I like Destroyer. And I think Michael, um, uh, sure, pure contrariness, they did an album that was a soundtrack of a film once that everybody hated. The Sentinel, or what was that called? The what? I don't know. If you look it up later, there was one that apparently was meant to be a field soundtrack of a film that everybody hated. I think that's what Michael will say is his favourite. Music for the Elder, not that, surely. That's the Elder, surely. I think it's right. the Elder. That's, that's his favourite? Well, no, I think he would say that because it's okay. the, the most <laughs> the most obscure one, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Hated, as I understand it as well. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's coming up on Saturday. Um, next week, this is definitely a bit more um, up your alley, I would say, Andy. Uh, Sam and I, Sam, you've picked 
a, a, a true classic pop podcast, which we're going to be doing next week. If you sign up for five pound a month, we pick a classic album each every month and we do a podcast on them. This week, coming this Wednesday, we're going to be doing a massive deep dive on Atomizer by Big Black. I'm pretty sure you're a fan of that album, Andy. Uh, it's also one of the reasons why I'm sitting talking with you gentlemen now, mm. because they I've been in various bands, but whenever I met the original therapy drummer, the, myself and this guy called Five Hewing, a great drummer, we formed the band. And I met him when he was drumming for a punk covers band called The League of Decency. And he was an amazing drummer. They were doing like Dead Kennedy's California Umbrellas, New Rose by the Dam, et cetera, et cetera. And I said to him, you're an amazing drummer. And he went, oh, I don't really like playing covers on it. And I said, what are you into? And he went, Big Black, Sonic, you know, sorry, sorry, Big Black. You know? And that was it, because I love Big Black and I didn't know anybody else that liked them. Um, and whenever we formed the first band, you've only, you've only got to listen to the guitar lines and punishment kiss of Baby Teeth or, or Me Abstract or, or the, the sort of rhythm of stuff of Trouble Gum, like a Lunacy Booth, the rhythm of that guitar to hear like um, the influence of Steve Albini's guitar playing and also lyrically like the small town psychosis that deals with kind of everyday little vignettes of kind of mm. odd behavior in life. Yeah. I mean, you're looking forward to talking about that, Sam? I listened to it back to it a couple of times in the last few days and oh, it's such a great record. It's so good. Yeah, man. I, I can't wait. Um, It's a weird one. It's not an album I go back to in full over and over and over again. I mean, obviously Kerosene is, you know, a very accessible starting point when it comes to Big Black. So that tends to be the track I'm going to put on if I'm going to listen to a single track. But going back to it, it's a bit like when we did Scum in full uh, for my last pick. It's like you forget just how astonishingly brilliant it is front to back when you don't listen to it for quite a while uh, yeah i can't wait for that chat that's gonna be a load of fun mate it is so that's coming wednesday uh like i say patreon.com forward slash true cult pop if you want to sign up and get some of our exclusive content but anyway let's um move on we uh usually talk about a song that's been stuck in our heads every week a song that we want to bring into the show uh, andy you have very kindly brought us a song in as well that you've been listening to recently you've picked the song Watch With Mother by Girls in Synthesis. Um, I was not familiar with this band. Um, so, yeah, just tell us uh, who they are and, and what made you kind of pick this song. Well, they've been on, they've been on my radar for quite a long time now. I think that they've made quite a lot of EPs. Um, and that the new record is called The Rest is Distraction. They're a three-piece post-punk, a bit of the fall, um, a bit of kind of gnarly kind of kraut rock in there as well um some good noise but it's this record they've really really brought everything together they had a sound they were one of those bands when they first came out they had an amazing sound it was it was dark it was dingy um it bits of it reminded me of crass early crass records as well it was um it was great but this one i mean the bass is distorted there's a track called this is the track that i picked called watch with mother which appears to be kind of a dissertation of his childhood but not in a kind of uh, new metal sort of naughty's way, in a very varied um, breakdown, which sounds, if you like Big Black's Atomizer, it's got that panic-driven vocal, mm. uh, an amazing post-punk guitar playing, and just one of those really, really kind of amazing kind of uh, locomotive rhythm sections that just carries the whole thing along like a juggernaut. But the rest of the record is really good as well. Um, there's a track on the, the album called Cottage Industry, which is in in Sandry, it's brilliant but yeah that's what i've been listening to a lot recently it's a great song i mean i thought the vocal um the vocal delivery i mean it's got all those 
wicked elements of post-punk which kind of i know sam and i are both massive fans on those kind of the, that kind of driving kind of um i say locomotive drums and there's this that kind of pinch squealy guitar line which feels like kind of nails down a chalkboard and that kind of dubby bass line as well is brilliant and the vocal delivery had the kind of wide-eyed fervor of jazz coleman from killing well, it does yeah that's why I, I mean i love it about the vocal delivery i think post-punk is important because if it's done badly it can actually make it can make a, a, a band sound like bland alternative rock but if it's done right, it can give it a kind of righteous fury, which is kind of addictive. And mm. I think it runs into that. Yeah, really, really good. I, I really liked it. I hadn't listened to this band before. And I listened to the album since, like, well, you know, after listening to this song, I was like, this is great. And it came out this year. So it's one that mm. absolutely passed me by. What, what did you think of this, Sam? Um, I thought it was absolutely excellent. I mean, I, I was aware of the name Girls in Synthesis. I'm pretty sure they've been on a bill um, at a gig I've been at, so I'm just, I'm almost certain I've seen them, but I can't I can't remember which gig it was because I think they were kind of added in last minute. They were sort of a standing support band when the opening act had pulled out or something. Um, so I did have this vague sort of recollection of what was going on as soon as I pressed play on this track, which I think is absolutely fantastic. I mean that grimy driving. I mean yeah, it is a kind of it is a post punk song through and through with so much all those little noisy accoutrements. I absolutely love that. The hisses of white noise that are just floating around that feral vocal performance. It's absolutely amazing. It's so claustrophobic and quite anguished as well, but it never feels, as you say, Andy, it's not got that kind of woe is me, you know, the world is against me, new metal feel. It's just this kind of really interesting examination of, I don't know, internalized trauma. I thought it was brilliant. And I have also listened to the album. Um, I'm really annoyed. I didn't know about this band sooner. These are absolutely a bit of me. This is excellent. Okay. Yeah, really, really good. So um, go and check that out. The, the the album, as Andy said, is called The Rest is Distraction. The song's called Watch With Mother. The band are called Girls in Synthesis. Uh, that's how you say it, isn't it? Synthesis. Synthesis. Yeah. Synthesis. I was saying it like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a very posh man. Um, yes. I, uh, I've been listening to quite a lot of um, sort of sad acoustic music recently. And uh, a song came to me that I hadn't listened to for years, but it just popped into my head. And I went and listened to it. And that's sort of what I brought in. I've gone for Keith, well, Mina Caputo, as she's now known, formerly then Keith Caputo. Uh, the song is Selfish, which was the lead single from the first album that uh, she released a solo artist after leaving Life of Agony. Now, um, this is 2000, this album came out. And I was a massive massive and still am a massive fan of life of agony love life of agony and as a kind of 19 20 year old man um was really keen to see what the lead vocalist and the kind of the uh, this focal point of this band would do next and being into the stuff that i was into at that time uh, i was very disappointed <laughs> initially with getting this record and seeing that it was quite a lot of um acoustic quiet uh, reflective music um but this is the thing so i mean you're too young to remember this sam really but having yes, to buy yes. cds back in the day you would <laughs> you would listen to them you would make sure you had to listen to them and i found myself going well i've bought this i've spent 10 quid on it so i have to listen to it um and the songs on that record are just fantastic absolutely fantastic and i think there's a there's a a melancholic edge which feels even stronger and um and more essential now to this song and to this album due to what we now know kind of Mina was wrestling with at the time. And uh, I just think the songwriting on this, this is a really pretty song. It's quite a sad song, but 
uh, this whole album is brilliant i think selfish is great i don't know what you guys think of this i mean andy you must have obviously been aware of life of agony from back in the day as well yeah i mean i've had the the uh privilege of meeting mina quite a few times our agent in germany looks after life of agony and Mina as a solo artist too and back in the day i mean one of my favorite ever songs of the 90s is weeds by life of agony i think that's one of the best songs ever from that era and I remember getting died laughing when it came out. And I think something like Selfish, it's incredible because it's so easy to get a song like this wrong. Uh, it's like acoustic ballad. It's melancholy, as you put it. If it's done the wrong way, it can turn into more Goo Goo Dolls, you know, sort of like, and you know, nothing against Goo Goo Dolls, but it can become very AOR Americana. And then it may, I remember talking to members of the band a while ago saying that Mina really liked David Bowie. And when you listen to some of the jumps in the melody in this song and the way that he phrases the vocal, it's got more in common with Hunky Dory by David Bowie than it has maybe with say Soul Asylum or Goo Goo Dolls. And I think that's what makes it different. And as you say, retrospectively, it has got so much weight now knowing what was going on in her life. Yeah, I, I really love this song. I really love this album. I would say, you know, if I could pick the whole album, there's five or six songs in it that I think are absolutely brilliant. There's a couple, you know, about um, her mum passing away, which are really, really lovely, which I didn't really want to get into uh, too much today. But it's a great record. Sam, um, I I'm wondering, as somebody who wasn't there from the, the kind of the 90s period, uh, if you feel like this has aged very well at all. I think this has aged um, brilliantly, actually. And I think a lot of that does... You won't be saying to... that for everything that we're going to be talking about on the show today. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not, Steve. Definitely not. I think this has aged brilliantly. Uh, but I do think a large part of that is maybe not necessarily kind of um, anything in terms of how it sounds, sort of production techniques, which I don't think sound particularly dated. They don't sound like they're fixed in a certain bygone period. But I think most of it comes down to knowing what we do know now about Mina. And I think, I mean, maybe... I mean, I don't know what Mina's um, situation was like in terms of red, uh, wrestling with gender dysphoria um, throughout their life, but I think it's pretty self-evident that this song is wrestling with some deep-seated internal struggles. Um, and I, I absolutely love the um, the fact that... So for me, I, I didn't even know that Mina then had much of a solo career at all. So I knew Life of Agony from this era, you know, particularly River Runs Red and Ugly. They'd be the two that I really go back to the most. Um and so I was surprised when this wasn't a kind of all-out gnashing, like, teeth-bearing, just rager. But then that makes so much sense. Your solo career can be a reaction to the stuff that you've done in a band. And actually, I think that self-effacing and self-critical nature of it, it's almost, it's as angry with itself as a Life of Agony song would be, but in such a different way. Um, no, I think, I think it's aged wonderfully. I think it's a really beautiful song. Like, as, I think my reaction was similar to yours when you bought the CD way back when, though, Steve, where I put it on, I was like, hang on. Mina Caputo doing an acoustic ballad like that surprises me but yeah I think it's great I actually found the original Kerrang review I've got a load of old Kerrangs upstairs I found the original Kerrang review and they compare this album to, to Travis oh really wow <laughs> Yeah, like it's a 3k and it's like oh you know the songs are quite good but it is a bit like Travis and I was like oh I mean 
It's not really, is it? But, you know, no. I think it was just... <laughs> I'd, I'd like, go with hunky-dory over why does it always rain on me, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But yeah, great. I mean, if you've not heard that record, um, I mean, I, I'm such a massive fan of her and Life Agony and everything. It's a it's a great record. It's called Died Laughing. Um, Selfish is, is, is a beautiful song. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, Sam, you went for some raging punk rock from yes. a decade ago. Absolutely. Speaking of teeth gnashing absolutely bearing your soul and sticking it to the man uh, i've gone for banshee ghost fame by let live the first track and a lead single from the blackest beautiful the 2013 effort and for the record the best let live album in my humble opinion um there's a couple of reasons as to why i picked this beyond it just being a brilliant song but when um steve and i uh, were doing the the most recent classic album special uh, on bring me the horizon semper turtle the blackest beautiful cropped up in quite a few end of year lists that we were looking at when comparing sort of the reception of semper turtle and i thought yeah i mean it's just an absolutely i don't know iconic album in quite a small scene now um su- supremely important and this is an opening track um i just think it sets its stall out so brilliantly from that kind of faded outside the studio like it's done on a a dictaphone or something someone snuck in to try and get a leak of the new let live album and then when it absolutely just barrels in gang vocals and jason butler at his most henry rollins by way of james brown that gnashing teeth soulful swagger i absolutely love it um so i've been listening to it since we recorded that i didn't want to bring it in last week so i just had something else that i fancied instead but i thought this would be the week to do it because it is currently my sixth most played song of 2022 on apple music so yeah yeah. i've been going back to it a lot i just bloody love let live um and yeah as i say the just the lyrical flow of those verses. Um, you know, they, they say the older the bullshit, the more offensive the horn. It's another trick, another matador. And the gang vocals. Oh, I want to. I really want Let Live to come back so I can see them because I never saw them in their original form. Um, and great. I just want to be there shouting, I don't want to be there. So yeah, brilliant. brilliant. Uh, Andy, are you, are you familiar with this band? Yeah, and I mean, and I, I agree. I think so. The, the Black's Beautiful is their best record. And I wasn't, I, I, that was the first one I got because I thought initially, you know, I, I like Glassjaw, I liked Refused, and I liked At The Drive-In. And I sort of had it in my mind that this was maybe just something that maybe followed on from that, and I was never really that convinced. But it was one of those really bizarre things where the album cover, I just thought was incredible. Mm. And when I put it on, I thought it was such an amazingly brave move, just the way that they begin that track. Because it goes on for quite a long time, and some mm. record company must have said to them, you can just imagine someone having a conniption fit going, guys, guys, this has got to go. <laughs> you know, but it was brilliant. And then when it comes in, it's it's really fierce the whole way through it. The rhythms are all really, really tight. Uh, the vocal delivery is spot on. But I think the gist thing is it's just got this kind of effervescence the whole way through it. You know, when you break it down, it's got, it could be a funk song, it could be a James Brown song, but it's the whole thing. The addictiveness of the record is in the delivery. And that's... How many punk bands have you have you read that have been this incredibly, it's the next MC5, you know, it's going to be blow your mind away and you've gone and seen them and it's it's not. But this is like how you do it, I think. And it's it's just incredible track. It just still to the, I mean, this could this could have been released last week. That's how great it sounds, I think. You know, if, I'd, if someone had told me, played this to me and said it was recorded by a band over the summer, I would, I would have believed you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember, I have a distinct memory because I got given this to review for Metal Hammer, this album. Mm. And I remember I was sat in a Cafe Nero in Gloucester Road um, and I got the stream and I got on their Wi-Fi and I put the headphones on and this came in. 
and it just nearly knocked me off my chair. Like it's not a very punk rock situation, you know, Cafe Nero and Glossy Road. <laughs> <laughs> listening to this album for the first time but it just i was like oh my god and i kind of had to go back and start the first song again because it's one of those albums where everything on it is amazing but that first song when it first comes in you just like, i have to listen to that song again and again and mm. again like it is it is so great what a tune i think that's 100 percent going to be a classic album podcast at some point i reckon sam so oh I mean, it has to be it has to gonna be. button yeah, my lip yeah, on it for a bit but great shout um before we get into it uh i uh what we're doing this week in the main um i went to see gang of youths and biffy Clyro and architects this week um, um i probably save the review for next week because we're obviously you know we're, we want to try and get through everything as much as possible but just to say if you were thinking if you're tuning in going oh, i want to hear what you think about biffy or architects or gang of youths uh all three were excellent Oh, absolutely excellent um gang of youths uh were uh way better i think i reviewed them in brixton earlier this year i don't know if you're familiar with this band andy they're kind of australian i've seen the name and i've seen pictures i haven't i've yet to hear them okay so the, the the latest album angel in real time is incredible and it's like this it's about his the the singer david his he found out his dad's his dad passed away and he found out all these things like he had this other family that he didn't know about and it's all about this kind of oh if i found out my dad was 10 years older than he was and he had this whole family before i knew and it's, you know he, he so he discovers his new brother new sister like all these family and friends in australia and the album is this really kind of beautiful love letter to his father and when they played brixton earlier this year <clears throat> songs like brothers where he sat down at a piano and just sort of you know it's a very very delicate sort of um i guess tr wrestling with all these these new facts and these new things about his new family and it's very very quiet and people just talk to the way through it and i'm glad to say it was a slightly smaller venue uh this gig and i mean i actually threatened a few i was like if you fucking talk during this song i swear <laughs> to god we're going outside after but we did I, I did get to uh to kind of get the crowd to shut up enough so we could actually hear um those quieter moments but they they were brilliant i think i mean you know when we come to do our best albums of the year that's gonna be right up there and biffy um and architects at the o2 i mean Ar architects lot of new stuff from the architect set i actually mm. i actually thought they smashed it i mean i the the longer it goes on the more and more the kind of hooks from that new architects album is getting into me and i i think the new stuff sounded amazing in a venue like the o2 um they look right at home there and you know i'm not going to be one of those people that are going to be shouting play the old stuff play the stuff from heaven <laughs> from hollow crown I, I, they were great um biffy as ever amazing i mean at this point uh, it's phenomenal to see uh, a band who are as challenging and weird as Biffy Clyro just just own a venue like the O2 like it's it's insane I mean Andy you must have played with Biffy and, and come across Biffy oh yeah no we, we know Biffy we, we, we used to go we used to share tour managers and uh we used to go and see them and I live in Cambridge and the first time I saw Biffy was in a small pub called the Boat Race which held about 80 people and they came back about two years later, and they played the Junction, which holds 900. And famously, like well, I got to know the guys just from seeing our tour manager, John, who managed them. I went to see them that night. I was going to get a cab, and Simon Neal says, what are you doing getting a cab home? We'll drop you off in the tour bus. <laughs> and I, at the time, I lived in this tiny little village in the outskirts of Cambridge. And um, they basically sat down the back of the bus, and they actually left the venue in Cambridge and dropped me off. 
at the um, at the front door <laughs> on wow. the big tour and it was a little village so it was just about enough room for the tour bus <laughs> down the road yeah and I mean I've always followed them since I really really like I like like the way that everything falls together for them I just love everything about them I like the fact it's like a gang um, and recently called, they played in Belfast they're the biggest ever show in Belfast recently they played the Odyssey or the, the waterfront it's, it's the big place and in the local press, they actually said that um, when they were growing up, two of the bands that inspired them were Therapy and Curb Dog. And we were completely blown away by that. You know, the, the fact that you know they name-checked us when they were doing a big Belfast show. And Michael sent me the press cut, and, and I've got it kept in my kind of scrapbook because I was so touched by it. But an amazing band, and it's I've any I've seen them live countless times, and they've never I've never ever come away with that was terrible or it wasn't as good. It's always been amazing because they seem to love what they do, which is important. So many bands don't. Mm, yeah, they were amazing. And they just, you know, when when I, when I they play stuff like 57 or um, uh, uh, Glitter and Trauma from the kind of the earlier albums and you go, you're playing at the O2 Arena. Yeah. And you're playing these weird <laughs> angular sort of post-hardcore songs that sound like, you know, forever until October or, do you know what I mean? It, like, it's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? When they do it in big places like that and they play a little trauma. It's like, I, I just love the fact they do that. Yeah, it's so good. And then those songs that are the mass sing-along, when you get, you know, a, a Captain or Many of Horror and stuff like that, or, you know, it, it's just, yeah, they, they were absolutely brilliant. I mean, we've spoken about Biffy Clyro a lot um, over the various podcasts. So uh, they were just again you know what a fantastic band and a lot of people when i, I sort of tweeted oh, i'm seeing biffy tonight and so many people came back and went i saw them last night in leeds i saw them in cardiff i saw them in like and everybody was like they are on unstoppable form so i don't know if they're still touring if that tour's over now but if you are about to see them they're really really incredible and um it's funny you say about curb dog because i believe when curb dog reformed and did some shows a few years ago I think they played a small place in Glasgow and Biffy turned up just and just and opened for them. And this is like 2014. Oh, really? Wow, I didn't heard that one. Yeah, mad. Anyway, um, so yeah, good week for live music. Um, pretty good week for football. Let's get into what we are meant to be talking about. Now, the World Cup starts on Sunday, if you're listening to this podcast today that it comes out. The World Cup in Qatar, it's already a controversial World Cup. Um Andy, you're a big football fan. Yeah, I've always been a football fan. The first World Cup I watched was <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm an old get, so I mean, I was 12 years of age. I watched the Argentina when it was in Argentina. I remember the Scotland team from them, Archie Gemmell. Mm -hmm. uh, my favourite World Cup was Spain 1982, Northern Ireland. And I'll come back to the theme tune of that World Cup and the, the lineup in a minute. Yeah. I'm also a season ticket holder since 1994 of Chelsea who I used to actually fly over to see when I lived in Ireland and, and I've lived in um, England since 2001. So being good up and down. And before anyone judges me, my first game I ever went to was 1993. Chelsea nil, Man City nil. The attendance was 13,000 people. <laughs> and there were no stars in the side. But um, yeah, I'm, I love football. In fact, we actually have a, a little five-a-side team, a little therapy five-a-side team when we're on tour. I'm not particularly good, but you know I, I play back in defence. Neil Cooper is amazing. He's the um, he's the drummer of the band. He's a brilliant footballer, um, and we play local crews, other bands, support backs, uh, local staff of the venue if we get a chance. And we do go to football matches. 
uh, if we're in a town and there's a football match on and we have a day off. So the last one we went to was RSFC of Thessaloniki versus Larissa in Thessaloniki in Greece. 2-0 to Aris. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I mean, pretty harsh. No stars in the Chelsea team in nineteen ninety three. That is Robert Fleck is a big fan of the show. He's gonna be right into you. <laughs> oh so, Robert, Robert Fleck. <laughs> One Robert <Yeah>. Fleck. <laughs> Um, what, what do you think of this World Cup? Because obviously it's it's the most controversial. It, it seems a shame that we're doing this when it is the most controversial. And I mean, it's particularly hard for me because being a Portsmouth fan, um, we're still playing games while the World Cup is on. And I don't want mm. it to be like, oh, England are playing in the World Cup semi-final tonight, but I'm more worried about Marlon Pack's hamstring for the Forest Green game. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I It feels really... That's, it, that's more important. As far as I'm concerned, that's more yeah. important. Yeah, oh, I'm definitely a club over country man for sure. So I am going to be, you know, if, if England could be playing the World Cup final and if it clashes with our home game against Cheltenham, I'm going to be much, I'm going to be there. I'm not, and it, th- that would be like a horrible situation to be put in really. So, and that's before we even get into the the human rights of Qatar and how this World Cup's been put together and the bribery and stuff. It, it's a shame we're doing this when the World Cup, which I always get so excited about, is... Let's be honest, it's a bit of a shambles, isn't it, surely? Uh, I'm full disclosure, I'm not watching it at all. I mean, it's the first World Cup whenever I've been at home, uh, when it's on, that I'll not be watching any of the games. I totally disagree with the policy when they built the place. I disagree with the thousands that died making it. I totally disagree with their stance on LGBT+. Um, So... I mean, and it'll break my heart because as a Chelsea fan, to see Mason Mount, Conor Gallagher, Kai Havertz, Thiago Silva, I would watch every single game, but I'm not going to watch it. So I will read about the results in the paper, but this will be the first year ever when I won't actually be watching the games. And do you know what? I, I will always watch England. My wife's English. I always follow England at every tournament they're in. And I always follow Wales and Scotland as well, you know, um, whenever they play. And I'm going to miss Wales, going to miss England. Um, but that's just the way it is. I think it's an absolute disgrace. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think it, there's, it never should have come to this. It never ever should have come to this. It is, um, it's a real wrench for me because I do love the World Cup and the kind of it to for it to be on. I mean, I haven't made any kind of hard and fast rule about whether or not I want to watch it, but I kind of just hoped England would pull out of it and just not even try and qualify, that would have been the best thing to have happened, really. And I think had they have done that, other countries would have followed suit and, you know, we probably wouldn't be in this situation. I don't know where they're going to have the next... I mean, the next one's in Mexico, USA and Canada, that tiny little area of the the planet. (laughs) Uh, I don't know where the 2032 one's going to be, the the Death Star. Uh, Uh, North Korea, maybe. And then, yeah, then then the Death Star. Um, uh, (laughs) It's absolutely insane. But... You know, it's given us an opportunity to talk about the relationship between football and music. Before we do, I know, Sam, you're not going to be watching the World Cup, are you? And that's not actually because you're boycotting it. It's because you don't care about football at all, do you? Uh, no, uh, yeah, I'm totally ambivalent to the beautiful game. Uh, I have absolutely no problem with it uh, as a thing. I'm glad that so many people enjoy it. And I love, I do love the fandom surrounding football. So I work in this bar in Leicester, which I've you know referenced a few times over the um over the my tenure on the podcast, I suppose. Um, and we have a fair amount of uh, home and away fans come through whenever there's a Leicester match at home or whatever. And all those people are always lovely and they're just out to go and have a nice time. And it's like, yeah, great. I'm just not interested myself. I don't I don't get any joy out of 
watching it on telly, I would say. I have been to one football match in my life. Went to see Reading play Birmingham. I can't remember. It was in Birmingham. I don't team. know who they were playing. Yeah, yeah is it is team. definitely yeah. a team, but I can't yeah. remember who they were playing. It wouldn't have been Villa because I would have made more jokes about Black Sabbath while I was there. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, I'm just, yeah. I'm glad everyone else likes it. Not for me. <laughs> so we're running the gamut of, uh, of, of, of football fandom. Football here. expertise. Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but what we do have is, uh, this is a music podcast and we're going to talk about music and football. Um, Andy, inherently, just as a kind of yes or no answer, do you think football songs are good? No, they're terrible. <laughs> yeah. They're all terrible. There's never been a good football song. There's a couple that have, We've we've tried to believe, and, and no doubt you'll talk about them soon. But they're actually quicker. But all football songs are terrible. They are. That's part of the charm. My favorite football song of all time. Well, there's two of them. One's Chelsea, one Blues of Color. The other one is When Your Man Gets the Ball, Northern Ireland too. The Chelsea one's a, a lot better. It's of its time. But the Northern Ireland one, Badana Eurovision Song Contest, one, it's absolutely dreadful. But I love it. It's uh, but you know it's um, it's. Um, they're all awful. They're, there's no redeeming feature by any World Cup song, even if Steve Albini did a World Cup song with, you know, <laughs> the it's awful. They're awful. You know, I mean, they, they exist for one reason. That's just try and get some kind of umbrella of, um, I don't know, euphoric chicanery going within the camp. But nah, they're awful. <laughs> yeah, funny, I did see um, Serge from Kasabian once said, oh, you know, the relationship between football and music it's so, you know, they go together so well. And I was like, they really don't, mate. They, really they do football, can football and music together. <laughs> I grew up, we would go around and we would, you know, all my friends were into music. Whenever I was very, very young, that's why we play the music I do. I love punk and some of my mates like punk, most of my other mates like metal. And that was in the days, when I, the age that I am, when there was tribes, so people didn't hang out together. But we were the outcasts in the estate that I grew up on because we liked this weird music. So me, me and my punk mates would hang out with the metalers. Every Saturday when we were kids, we'd go and buy records. We'd play the records while we played Subutio. And then we'd, we'd be allowed, once we got to 14, to stay at somebody's house to watch Match of the Day. And then we would walk back home to our houses. And it did go hand in hand. I mean, not, not when you integrated the lyrics into the song. I grew up with My Perfect Cousin by The Undertones, which has got a Subutio player in the front. And... Damien O'Neill is wearing a Chelsea top, playing um, Subutu in the video. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's something in the excitement. And I think that the word we're looking for here about music and football is catharsis. There is a catharsis in both forms of entertainment, which I think is quite similar. Um, but as, it, as I've already said, <laughs> they shouldn't mingle with the songs. But there you go. Yeah, well, I've picked eight. Uh, songs that are kind of linked to international tournaments not all the world cup but um but international tournaments so we're going to kind of go through them we're going to kind of pick through the bones and the corpses <clears throat> of these songs we're going to start way back in 1970 with the england world cup um squad of 1970 and the song back home which was released uh, just before the 1970 mexico world cup this is when england were holders of the world, world cup this is before my times before all of our times i uh, got to number one in the uk Interestingly, Andy got to number two in Ireland. Bloody I know, Ireland. I saw that. I saw that. actually quite a few English. Uh, I've noticed that when I was, when I was researching them. They got to number in Scotland. I mean, it'll come on to that later, but some of them got the charts in Scotland and Ireland, mm. which is bizarre. But I mean, that's the power of the pop music that day, I think, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, this is, um, I mean, that, that I do remember that game against Brazil when they lost. That's famous for that Gordon Banks save from Pele, if you've ever seen that. Yeah, of course. It's the best save ever. It is incredible. 
Yeah, really, truly is. Um, the song itself, I mean, it was that song plus a B-side called Cinnamon Stick, which I've, I've never heard. I don't really know what that's got to do with football. <laughs> uh, but I think my first time hearing this song was when it was appropriated by Badil and Skinner as the theme tune for Fantasy Football League during the 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so I always knew this song as the theme tune for Fantasy Football League. Um, going back to the original, as I did this week, I mean, it's not a great song. I don't think it's a disaster. We've got some disasters coming later, mm-hmm. but it's not a great song. It's quite, it, it, it's quite kind of, I guess you said it, Andy, that's sort of charming for its time, yeah. I guess. But I don't think this would fly these days. I mean, what are your thoughts on it as a song? Well, it, it's, well, it has got that. Super love with Boot Boys and various punk boy bands in the 70s, but you know, this was 1970, and it's got that. And it's also got, I mean, if you want it to be kind, you could say it's got one of the first instances of sampling in popular music because halfway through the track, there's some crowd noise for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, they beat, so they beat public enemy to that one, you know what I mean? But <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it was very, it's, it's kind of harmless and it's of its time. And um, I think that was. You know, they weren't trying to make something that was cutting edge. I think they just said, let's have something to send the boys off with. Yeah. Yeah, Sam, um, I don't feel like you're going to be a huge fan of this song. Am I right? Well, Stephen Hill, how wrong you are. I I actually quite like this one. I think um, Andy has hit the nail on the head. I think charming is the word for this one. Um, you know, it starts with those brass stabs of the traditional noises of the sporting fixture season, which is always good. Um and I don't know, there's something nice about um, the entire squad doing these kind of not, you know, not massively capable, but uh, kind of sweetly effective gang vocals to it. I guess, I guess, actually, with the inclusion of Oi, maybe this is kind of the first agnostic front song. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely early hardcore in some senses. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's sweet. It's charming. It's, it doesn't have any delusions of grandeur in terms of its artistic merit. It is just a song that exists to be a nice kind of accompaniment to this you know, the World Cup that was happening in 1970. It's nice. It's got that kind of small C conservative rather than the conservative party kind of feel about it. It's just just a bunch of nice, well-dressed boys having a nice time making a nice song. And I do like that 44 seconds in, we get a key change. So Daryl Palumbo and John Bon Jovi were definitely listening to that. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I think it's really nice. It's knowingly novelty. Um, it's probably about as adept as England were in the 1970 World Cup because I did note that they were knocked out of the quarterfinals by the West German team. So there we go. Fair enough. Well, I mean, Andy's not going to like this, but that was Peter Bonetti's fault. Um, well, I know. I thought you might say that. I know he, it's, that was unfortunate for him because uh, he got gone man's got food poisoning, didn't he? Yeah. 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 And then Bonetti, yeah, that's that's been mentioned quite a lot. And he never really played for Germany again or never really played for England again after that, Bonetti. It's funny, yeah. I went to his... Um, I went to his uh, memorial uh, whenever it happened at Stamford Bridge because it had been detained because of COVID. And his ashes are interred behind the goal at the shed end of the bridge. And that was really, really moving. And thankfully, no one mentioned that at that. But yes, you know, it's one of the big sort of bugbears about Benetti's kind of ill-fated England career was that that happened. And it's a tad unfair. I mean, you know, Gerd Muller got the winning goal, I think. And then was it yeah. Gerd Muller got it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it, it is a shame. My dad my dad was was a goalkeeper like not you know in, in his kind of Sunday league team and everything but he always said Peter Bonetti was a really really good goalkeeper but only 
the only thing people outside of Chelsea fans would mention was was that game, which is a bit of a which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, going back to the song, sounds a bit like a theme tune to a seventy sitcom. I was thinking a Carry On film myself. You know, like I could see Sid James enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I've picked as well for like if this song were a football team. Um, I've picked one for each song. I mean, for me, this would be a team who used to be good, but have seen sort of better days, but are now slightly in the doldrums. So there, for me, this song is Blackpool or Preston North End. Preston North End, yeah, yeah. You know, if if that, oh, that probably means very little to you, Sam. Sam, have you got? A, yeah. If if it was if it was a football team, who would you say this would be? Um, I am going to have to do quite a lot of explaining for all of my choices, so bear with me here. Uh, my rationale for this, oh, my team for this song. If this song were a team, I've gone with Bolton Wanderers FC. Now, let me tell you for why. Based on extensive research conducted by the football historian Mark Metcalf and apparently his friend Robert Boiling, indicates the first ever goal scored in a codified and established football league match was by winger Kenny Davenport at 3.47pm September the 8th, 1888. And basically, this is the oldest song we're doing, so I thought I'd find the oldest football fact I could. So, there we go. <laughs> stato, stato, stato. Um, He's very good, Sam. Statistic crazy, statistic mad. Yeah, good. Eat my graph. Um, right, anyway, so there you go. That's seeing the World Cup song, 1970. Let's move on. Let's move on a full 20 years. New Order in England, World in Motion, released on the 21st of May, 1994. The uh, the Italian ninety World Cup tournament. Um, this is uh, New Order's only ever number one single. Mm. Um, it was there for two weeks before it was knocked off the top spot by Elton John's Sacrifice. Um, got to number three in Canada and Greece. Weirdly, again, when these songs kind of translate, I'm always a bit like, oh, well, I can sort of understand it. This one got to number mm. four in Finland, number eight in New Zealand, number twenty one in Australia, and again, Ireland, number seven, number seven in Ireland, Andy. Yeah, a lot of New Order fans. Me and my mates all like New Order. You know, I grew up, I loved Joy Division. Still yeah. do, you know, and they were very, very important in my life. Yeah, this is um, this is a weird old track. I mean, one thing is an aside that I did notice when I was researching it, because Lineker didn't appear on it, Gary Lineker, because apparently he had his own single coming out called If We Win It All. I've yeah. never heard that. Have you ever heard it? No, I've never heard of it. I've no intention <laughs> of seeking out either, but I just imagine it must be bad if no one's ever heard of it. <laughs> that was a fact that I found, and I was like, <laughs> you fucked up massively there, Gary, because, I mean, you know, the the, the story of, of this song, uh, I think, is, is fairly well known at this point. New Order wanted to call it E is for England in the middle of the kind mm. of rave, rave explosion, which would have been quite the thing. Um, uh, only six England players... And Keith Allen turned up to to do it. So <laughs> Peter Beersley, Steve McMahon, Chris Waddle, Des Walker, Paul Gascoigne, obviously, and uh, you know, of course, John Barnes um, doing his rap. They all had to go to the rap. You can <laughs> yes. actually find online, and I would suggest whether you are a football fan or not, if you just like to hear bad things, Peter Beardsley doing oh, the John I'm Barnes so rap. I'm so glad you said it's him. I'm so glad you said it, Pete Beardsley, because he's one of the few footballers I know, but purely through Bob <laughs> Mortimer's impression of him on Atletico Mints, which always cracks me up. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I um, could see some lovely, lovely chicken raps. <laughs> you have got to listen to Peter Beardsley doing the John Barnes rap. It is <laughs> an, ast- an astonishing display of ineptitude. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> incredible. Um... I was going to ask you about this, Andy, before we get into whether or not you like the song. Bernard Sumner has called this song 
the final slap in the face for Joy Division fans. Now, you mentioned Joy Division. As a man who's actually kind of famously covered Joy Division, how, how do you feel about the journey in 10 years from closer to this song? Well, I was really surprised because New, New Order, I mean, whenever I grew up, nobody, because they'd seen the way New Order, uh, Joy Division had developed on Closer. And I don't know anybody that hated New Order. I don't know anyone. And, and whenever this happened, I remember this football song as it happened. And I remember Sumner's quote. I I don't I don't know anyone that burned all the Joy Division albums because of this or burned all the Joy Division seven inch singles and twelve inch singles. So I don't know. I think it might have been a bit disingenuous of them to say that. It was I mean, I'll tell you what I do like there. I actually like the B side, where it sounds like a Belgian new beat track. It's I think it's actually just called B side. And I it's think I've heard that. Oh, no. but you know who produced it? This is fun fact. Roly Moseman, who is better known for producing New York avant-garde noise band Swans. Oh, cool. Yes. That sounds like so, a I bit mean, of it's me. The same man that produced seminal albums like Filth, Cop and Young God actually did the B-side of New Order single. And if you listen to it, it's still got a few bits and pieces of singing in it, but it actually sounds like a kind of a weird electronic Belgium track from kind of a dark wave kind of song. And I, I prefer it. I mean, I must be one of the few people as well, which I have to keep my voice down among all the other football fans in the therapy camp. I don't rate the John Barnes rap. Uh, well. I mean, as a non-football fan, I'm quite happy to join you on that. Yeah. I, I, I don't rate this rap at all. I, I'm going to be quoting it shortly. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, you know, like, on one hand, I can see as both music connoisseurs as you both are, I can see why you think that. But on the other hand, uh, Ten-year-old me is very upset because I, I mean, look, I unironically fucking love this song. If this were a team, this is Brazil 1970. This is Barcelona under Pep. This is Pompey 2002, 2003. The cream of the crop, the greatest, the very greatest of all time. Uh, like for me, it's comfortably, comfortably, the best football song ever made. And you know, I was ten during Italia '90, Gaza the road to the semi-fight like all you know everything that happened Ness and Dorma I've got so much I can't watch a documentary about Italian 90 without crying my eyes out I'm still look at Peter Shilton's bloody feet not moving backwards when that ball ricochets over him for the German equaliser I'm like you just take one step back Peter and you'll catch it like chest height you fucking idiot but and it, it hurt me as a 10 year old boy it hurt me so much and this song just brings all of that up. And I think, you know, New Order are brilliant. Um, John Barnes is not, you know, he's not Kendrick Lamar. No. <laughs> no, he's not. But I think what it was is I have a young son where he's 23 now, he's left home, but he grew up <laughs> on, on hip hop. And whenever he got to an age when he was asking me, I would take him out and I kind of, I've got like a man cave, all my old records and playing, you know, Stetasonic and a lot of old and public enemy. And some earlier stuff, and he he said to me, he said, "Why is it all old rap tunes?" So like, and it's that kind of when you listen to really early rap, it is that almost that's what they do. And I suppose just when I think of John Barnes's rap, but as you say, you're ten years of age, so it's a big deal. But that's whenever I first, I never, I never ever got. I mean, yes, of course, it's not Kevin Lamar. Mister Barnes and the Big Steppers. I do love it though. I do. And I do. I genuinely think it is. I mean, it gets, when you get to the Barnes rap, I think 
if I'm being really honest as a song and the kind of we're singing for England, England and that bit, it takes a bit of a dip. But I think before that, it's genuinely like a, a good New Order song. It's actually a very good New Order song. I actually, New Order's Greatest Hits came out about a year after this song and I got it for Christmas one year and I, it was the only song of theirs that I knew at that point as a kind of 11-year-old boy. And so it opened me up to New Order and then Joy Division and then and that's when I kind of got into all that stuff. Yeah, so I mean... There's not many that I'm going to kind of stick my flag in the ground for and be like, no, you leave like leave this alone. But I will I will say I, I I'm I'm giving this the best like spoiler alert. This is for me comfortably the best song we're going to be talking about. If it was a team, Sam, for you. Well, 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 I'd just like to say I really like this song as well. I mean, oh, basically, I'd, well, just echo everything you said. This is a great new order song. And I think even the fact that it has got that you know, the, the kind of the spirit of football running through its lyrical narrative for the first, well, or the majority of it, does nothing to hamper the fact that it is a brilliant song until John Barnes comes in. I think you're absolutely right. It does fall off quite drastically at the end with that rap. I mean, catch me if you can, because I'm the England man. Ooh, it's not the one, is it? Um, Should hear James but, Gordon do it, mate? That's even worse. I mean, we'll get to him in a little bit. Well, we'll it. get there later, won't we? Yeah, I mean, believe me, I'm being kind to John Barnes by comparison. But, um... I think by that point, the song has built up so much goodwill for me because it's it's a New Order song and I love hearing the members of New Order playing and Bernard Sumner's vocals have got that kind of joyous deadpan to them that I just can't help but absolutely adore. Like I, Joy Division are a massively important band for me as well. And the, uh, they're one of three bands that my dad actually listens to and they're the only band he's ever got me into so i've been listening to joy division for years and years and years and i'm still kind of exploring new order fully because i've been stuck on those joy division you know seven inches and lps and everything for so long but um no this is a great song steve and that is my rationale for saying given that this is the best song we're talking about it's got to be the best team so it is portsmouth fc um, I hope that on the day this episode goes out, they win against Uwe 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 Derby County. Derby County. <laughs> yeah, we're playing. Neil, our drummer's a Derby County fan. He's a season ticket holder as well. Well, he'll be delighted the day this podcast goes out because we're playing them live on Sky, and we haven't won on Sky since 1962, which is before Sky was even a thing, actually. But all live football. But we are <laughs> fucking right. hideous on Sky. Every time we go to shit, I mean, we're being shit at the moment anyway. But every time we play on Sky. We're shit. I mean, that's very nice of you to say that Pompey are the best team, Sam. But well, that's because that's what you think, and I don't know. I don't about football, think that. So. I absolutely, they're oh, my right. favourite team. The team I've been bullied into supporting by my dad <laughs> dragging me down to Fratton Park when I was four. But it's been a lifetime of misery. Don't compare like I compared them to Pompey two thousand two, two thousand three. We'll go, we, we we'll go with that. We'll go with that, shall we? Yeah, go with that because oh, these what, days. What about ooh. Pompey now with Pele from the eighties playing? How about that? How's that for a? Did he even play in the 80s? I don't know when Bella was happening. The 80s? I don't know. How old is he? He, played, he, in playing? The, he played in the 1958 World Cup, fellow. <laughs> I didn't he know that. He was long gone by the 80s. I, I only know him from The Simpsons, which obviously was in the 80s. So, you know. Oh, good. Oh, well, I'm glad you're here, though, Sam. It's like, thanks for coming along. I told you it'd be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, England New Order, definitely the best for me. Although... Yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I feel, would argue that the best was actually our next one that we're going to be talking about. But Dylan Skinner and the Lightning Seeds, Three Lions, released on the 20th of May, 1996. The um, official England song from the 1996 European Championship, which was held in England that year. What a time to be alive. 
it came back in 1998. Merlin, who was uh, the former the former editor of Metal Hammer magazine, Merlin Alderslade, idiotically believes that the 1998 version of Three Lions is the superior version. Absolutely not. Um, but it's sort of come back and taken on a brand new life of its own in 2018 and 2021 when everyone just sort of started singing it again um obviously this went to number one had a fascinating chart battle if you remember you might might remember this andy uh, with sort of tag teaming killing me softly by the fujis at number one for a few for about a month that happened was it oh is that who it was i can't really remember i can't remember the battle with killing me softly i knew it was kind of at the top two for a long time Mm. so it went in number one then killing me softly knocked it off and then three lines knock that off, and then killing me softly knock that off. Yeah. yeah, so they kind of tag team for a couple of weeks. Um, got to number seven in Norway. Um, got to number nine in Ireland. Another top ten hit in Ireland. I mean, it is one of those songs where I've I've heard Bayern Munich fans sing it. Mm. You know, ironically, at Stamford Bridge when they're beating us three 0 You know, and I've kind of I've heard other football song, other people that other people appropriate it. Um, the only one thing, the 98 version, is that the version that takes on the psycho screaming line? Yeah. I, I quite like that in it because I like Stuart Pierce. And, and I, I, you know, I just saw that whole thing. It, it was, um, it is, it's actually laced, when you listen to the chords in this song, it's laced with melancholia. Mm. It is, and it's it's quite beautiful. I mean, if this was, I mean, take away the, if you take away the lavishness, the bleeding skinner and all that, if this was kind of a song by, I don't know, a band in 96 like Supergrass or somebody like that it would be seen as one of the best songs because it, it's really well written it's well crafted it's it's kind of Beatlesy, you know it's got a little descending bass line um but yeah I I don't like it as much as the New Order track but it is it is pretty decent for a football song I'm a big fan of the Lightning Seas I think it feels like a kind of you know, because I love the 90s so much it's sort of a hilarious joke to people that I would say something like I like the lightning seeds and people go, of course you do. You like everything from the nineties. Ha ha. You know, but I, I actually think that going back to the, you know, the lightning seeds greatest hits, Ian Brody's a, it's a brilliant songwriter. There's some lovely, like you say, kind of Beatlesy, joyous, upbeat, marshmallowy, just big hugs of pop songs. I, I really, really like the lightning seeds. I do think Badil and Skinner, <laughs> like, kind of crushed his song unfortunately particularly david Badil, who i mean can't seem to talk in tune you know what i mean it's, it's <laughs> I, I like Badil because he's chelsea but i know what i know what you mean i think i've often wondered though if this was something that maybe ian brody had lying around and he was working on this kind of like um i don't know sort of parochial masterpiece of kind of like about like a king success track about a small outlook on life and he got a call from Bedell and Skinner going, have you got anything lying about we can use? And he kind of, and he went, oh, not really. And they went, well, it's for the World Cup. And he kind of guiltily gave them this beautiful piece of music that was then turned into something else. I'd love to know the history or whether he actually wrote it in the studio for them. Um, I, I believe, now, I, I heard, so I don't know if you've ever listened to the Quickly Kevin Willie Score podcast with Josh Widdicombe, which is a kind of 90s football podcast. Somebody sent something in that apparently... Um, they wanted to use All Together Now by The Farm as Euro 96, the, the song. That was initially, apparently what they were going to initially do. But in 1995, Everton got to the FA Cup final and one of the guys in The Farm was an Everton fan and gave and they re-recorded All Together Now for the Everton FA Cup song. So the FA went, oh, well, we were going to use that for 
the big england song but we can't now so we need to sort of find something else and that's how Badil and skinner and then the lightning seeds got kind of propositioned to write three lines so it's mad to think that this was you know this, this it's become i guess the definitive england song mm. i think it has. yeah i think it has mm. it I, I would say it has choice. i mean yeah i i would absolutely say it has and yeah it's it's fascinating to think that it wasn't the immediate pick and then it's how it's gone on to have such an indelible legacy in particularly english football but you know as andy is saying as, as you were saying yourself steve you know plenty of other teams kind of uh, teams and national teams have appropriated the a lot of the lyrics of it over the years i mean it's coming home obviously has become the de facto well it's the mantra of the english team isn't it and i i do really like as you say andy there's that nice kind of melancholy to it i mean for me ian Brody's performance on this has the same appeal as bernard sumner's particularly on world in motion given this is a a football specific or football music specific podcast um where it's got that kind of deadpan joy laced with melancholy to it and that just feels like quite inherent to the british experience particularly when the world cup comes around because it's like oh they're gonna do it this is the one this time you know it can't all be 1966 no no they'll do it. oh hang on oh no oh oh well it's coming home it's fine um yeah i like this song i don't think it's great um because of Badil and skinner but yeah i think inherently it is a well-written song and i had forgotten about that weird sort of harpsichord with a theremin break that comes in in the middle it's like it's an unusual one to be such an iconic part of british sporting history but yeah, this is the second best for, for me after World in Motion, I would say. I see. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's hard when, you know, for me, the summer of 96, I've just left school. All the best music was coming out. Uh, you know, I went to my first Reading Festival. I had an amazing time. The European Championships were taking place in Britain, in, in the UK, in England. And, you know, we got to semi-final. We had that amazing run. And so it's almost impossible for me to judge this on any kind of like detached merit as a whether or not this is a good song because it always does take me back to like you know the 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 summer you leave school it's the greatest summer of your life and stuff isn't it you know you have this amazing time and so you know i own this and every when england knocked spain out we opened all the windows in the house and me and my mates cranked this up as loud as it could possibly go and played it all down the street and yeah it was just an amazing time so it just it does really remind me of that i think it's a good song like it's or it's it's a decent it's a decent song it's a decent enough song i think it's what you were saying about the world cup um 70 song it's kind of charming i'm not sure it's actually mm. that good i mean i know that the bobby bobby belt in the ball the fa actually it was going to initially be butcher ready for war in regards to terry butcher's head injury that he got against sweden in the 1990 qualifier but they said it was too, oh, yeah. too violent so they had to change it they didn't like the imagery of like in hooliganism and stuff um mm. and th funnily enough the squad uh the england squad when they heard this didn't like it and there's actually another song that they preferred i've actually found the interview with teddy sherinham saying that he wasn't that keen on it at first and there's another song which we're just about to talk about that he actually preferred to this. He said the squad liked that more. For me, if it were a team, um, a team that was, I guess, was successful for a bit, that everyone loved, but really they were just kind of slight underdogs and weren't actually that good. So they smack of Leicester 2016, this song for me. Ooh, you're hard. Well, they won I, the title, didn't I, they? It's the, yeah, yeah, no, I don't care. I just live in Leicester, so oh, I feel right. like I have to make some sort of defensive response given that they're being shit at the moment, as I have been told many times over the bar. So that's fine. 
Uh, is there a team? I think the Newcastle under Keegan. It's a great shout. Yeah, that's what I think. And it's kind of, as you say, slightly just quite within touching distance, not quite getting there. And I mean, I, I must admit, I, I, I was in, when it was on 96, I was, I was living in Ireland, but I was in England a lot. And one thing that myself and Michael and the band noticed all the time was the mood of the country. Before, before that penalty shootout, obviously with Germany, the mood of the country was palpable, how much it was lifted everywhere from, you know, we, we were recording and rehearsing during the World Cup and we were in England and everywhere you went, everyone was lifted up, the spirits were lifted up, go to a pub, everyone was great. It, it was incredible. The whole mood of the nation seemed to be really lifted by the performance of that team. And then Gareth Southgate missed that penalty and we just smashed the whole place up. Didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Literally like a flick yeah. of a fucking switch. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, Sam, who would you call, if this song were a team, what what team would it be? Well, I think given Bedeal and Skinner's undeniable adoration for the beautiful game about which we are talking so very, very deeply. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I thought I'd go for a club that um, are currently doing well but not at the top tier, which is basically what it's like getting a number one song from a football track, essentially. Pat, uh, a team a team with fans who absolutely adore them because they organised pitch invasions in April 2016 against Hartlepool United and Colchester United to draw attention to the fact that they perceived mismanagement of the club that they held so dear. Late in Orient, innit? Oh. Bloody hell, they're not going to like yeah. that. Brisbane Rhodes fans. Well, you know. Whatever. They are I don't know what I'm talking about. They like, are, if they're no, going to come clearly. after me, I will, I will be... I, I just won't know. Leighton Orient are doing well, though. They are. They, they are yeah. currently number one in Sky Bet League 2. So, <laughs> you know, fair play. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. <laughs> so, I said England, the England squad, their, their favourite song during Euro 96 was actually not three lines, apparently. The squad loved... England's Irie by Black Grape, which is a one-off single released just before Euro 96 from uh, Sean Ryder and Bez's post-Happy Mondays band. Got to number six on the UK singles chart. Features Keith Allen again, and also features Joe Strummer. Mm. Yeah. Joe Strummer, like rocking up on uh, on a kind of novelty football song. Who saw that coming? I know. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, this is... Uh, it's weird. This this is going to be a hard one for me because I mean, last night I watched the Top of the Pops performance of this, and it's one of the most shambolic things I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It is so shambolic. And watching Joe Strummer, a punk legend, on the same Top of the Pops actually that the Sex Pistols, when the Sex Pistols played Top of the Pops, um, he was on that show as well. And watching him kind of mime to pieces, old pieces of commentary on this song, I was like. You're you're better than this, Joe Strummer. You're mm. surely better than this, um, Andy. What do you think of this song? Well, I hate to say because I love mm. Joe Strummer. I love the fact there's a bit of guitar in this. Sounds like Street Fighting Man with the Stones, and I love Black Grape and Happy Mondays. But and Danny Saber, Danny Saber is you know, behind the decks. Was it? It kind of reminds me of. There's a really famous story where I think it was Aphex Twin. In the 90s, there was a whole thing where ourselves included, bands were asking dance producers to remix their tracks. And I think the AFX Twin famously lifted a lot of old crap he had lying around the studio and just with nothing to do with the Lemonheads. The Lemonheads wanted a remix. Yeah. And he's back F and Dan on charging four grand. And this is a little bit like somebody in the studio is just like, 
let's get a lot of these bits of samples we have on this MIDI keyboard, put down that classic beat, boom, boom, take, take a perfect, and then just mail it out. Let's catch the check. It just, I'm not, I'm sorry. It's, nah, I don't, I don't get it at all. So. What do you reckon, Sam? Oh, it's not great, is it? I mean, when it starts with that stilted comedy skit at the beginning, I'm like, oh, do you have to? Do you have to do this? And, um, you know, it's funny at the beginning talking about um, Mina Caputo's song and you saying, oh, do you think this has held up well? Do you think this is dated? And I don't think it has. This, I mean, blimey, this is this is as 1996 as it gets. Just, just, you know, this kind of like GCSE pitch shifter. Um, (laughs) But... uh, Oh, again! This is I, a I, yeah. This is a can of hooch, uh, pair of, <laughs> a pair of kick, a pair of kickers, yeah, yeah, yeah. and watching tea, watching tap, tap Friday, poppers. Yeah. And we were in a gig in Plymouth last week, and there was hooch on the rider. I've no wow. idea. We, we haven't seen hooch since the nineties. We didn't ask for it. We got into our dress room, and there was cans of hooch in the freezer. Oh, cans! No cans, cans of hooch. No, no, hooch is all the rage amongst uh, young people these days. But you typically see it in bottles, and it's ridiculously overpriced for what it is. But yeah, fair enough. Um, whoa, 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 whoa! Hooch is all the rage with young people. Yeah. What? Well, I say young people. I'd say people in their kind of mid twenties who are happen? normal, so not like me, mate. You. You come to Leicester, come to Firebug on a Saturday night, look how many people are fucking drinking bottles of lemon hooch. You'll be astounded. They're going to ring, oh, fuck, well, Smirnoff Ice is going to be back next, isn't it? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah WKD. Sm- Baby Sham, I no, think, fo- should be next. Foster's, bottle of Foster's Ice. Hooch. Bottle of White Lightning on the swings, I reckon. <laughs> bottle of 2020. Um, <laughs> those, are the, those are the days. Yeah, um, yeah, this song has not aged well at all. No. But I do love, um, do love Black Grape. I know you love Black Grape, and to be fair, this is bad. Like, this is bad. The lyrics are daft. I don't think it sounds good. But again, it's still got that charm to it where I can't absolutely hate it. Um, I mean, there's not going to be much more of that. I think that defence is going to be wearing pretty thin for the rest of this chat. But, um, yeah, I don't despise this one. But this is kind of like, I'd say this is the absolute average of, like, footy songs where it's like, it's shit, knowingly so. They're having a bit of fun, so whatever. You know, it's not going to define anyone's career. I certainly hope it wouldn't, uh, unlike, obviously, the band we'll go on to next. Steve, if it's a team. I mean, for me, I've put um, uh, Liverpool in the white suits, uh, the Spice Boys. (laughs) So they never actually won anything, that team. They looked ridiculous. On paper, you go, oh, well. It's got Keith Allen, who's had success before. Black Grape are great. Uh, Joe Strummer's an absolute legend. Um, this this should be getting somewhere, but then the result is 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 not kind of up to scratch, and it's actually just a bit kind of it's all a bit dated. I mean, again, I had this on single. I would play, you know, I'd have the old three CD Turner stereo back in the nineties, and I'd have three lines in one and England's Irie on the other and all the way through year 96 I just swapped between those two records so I have really really nice memories of this song I am aware that it's rubbish though like I'm aware that this is a rubbish rubbish song um but I I still I did enjoy it when it was on I did enjoy it and I have to say you've got to go and watch the Top of the Pops performance because it's Keith Allen and Sean Ryder in kilts and people letting off party poppers and 
you know joe strummer dressed as john motson and it is and they're just like getting in the sort of making it all up as they go it's so shambolic and it looks so kind of amateur but um yeah i quite like it quite uh, like i'd it. imagine with that group as well the refreshments and the green room the top of the box that are in top notch as well <laughs> yeah right I know. as much hooch as you can ask for yeah. <laughs> uh what about you what about you guys if if it if it were a team uh, Charlie FC. <laughs> <laughs> just go for the geographic angle there. Yeah, I think I'll be it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it just yeah. leaves me completely cold, and I hate to say that because Strummer's on it. Uh, mm. uh, and I, I do like I do like Sean Ryder and Black Group as well. But yeah, no, not the best. Sam, well, now there's plenty of good things about Black Grape, um, but I think it would be fair to say that Be- Bez is not one of them. So I thought, well, I've got absolutely nothing on this one. I can't think of any sort of connection apart from Bez. So I took to Google to look up worst football player of 1996. Uh, So this is Southampton FC because of Ali Deer, who apparently, for those who don't know, like me, I'm sure everyone already knows this, but I'm going to indulge myself for a minute. Apparently managed to trick Graeme Souness into a one-month contract with the team by claiming he was the cousin of the then FIFA World Player of the Year and recipient of the Ballon d'Or, George Weir. So basically, you know, Bez and Ali Dia are chancers, notoriously rubbish in their field, but fair enough. So Southampton. Yeah, he's a Southampton legend, that guy. He's a, he's a, yeah, scum, he's a scum legend. He's probably the best player they've ever had now. Matt Letizia is a weirdo. So, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> shit player, shit club. Um, I was going to say apologies to any Southampton fans absolutely not Um, DM me your address we'll have a fight I'm obviously going to be really really (laughs) horrible I hate you fuck off Um, yeah not the best I did see by the way Black Grape play this song they brought Chris Evans out they headlined they headlined the main stage at Reading in 1996 that first Reading I went to Um, and they they brought Chris Evans and Keith Allen out to do this song and again pretty shambolic although you know, the end of a long day as a 16-year-old. I didn't really give that much of a fuck. So uh, let's move on. Another band I saw at Ready 96 actually, Collapse Lung with Eat My Goal. Um, this, This 1996 remix of this song, which was originally released in 1995, was picked up by coca-cola during the euro 96 advertising campaign uh the song got to number 31 on the uk singles chart when released as a double a side with the song london tonight from their second album cooler uh little fun fact about me um cooler by collapse lung i own that album i actually stole it from an r price in andover because <gasps> remember they used to take the cds Steve out and put them in in the the behind the counter they left the cd in so i just put it in my big baggy wallet chain pocket oh, yeah. and I, walked out <laughs> with it. I fought the law and i won oh. <laughs> so i quite like that record actually but again very dated poppy rap rock um andy did you guys i, I feel like collapse line would have been the sort of band that maybe therapy would have played with or come across back in I those mean, days we kind of knew them because whenever whenever we first signed to for two years we were on a label called weecher which was kind of part of the rough trade group and you know there was um they later went on to sign corner shop and bikini kill so it was us silverfish sun courage it was like a noisy kind of noise rock scene and collapse long were always around so whenever we were over in like 91 and 92 doing gigs in london and harlow because i think they were from harlow we used to play the square quite a lot yeah and members of the band would come to the gig so we kind of knew the name of the band and it was a bit more i i was shocked whenever i heard this record for, well cooler whenever cooler come out a collapse song to us were always kind of more like early therapy jake was mouse you know, it was like noisy 
But then they kind of went down that, um, this sort of like dancey crossover thing. I mean, this, this isn't a bad record at all. It's got that really, really nice guitar, like at the start that it sampled. But yeah, no, we did come across, we, we met them and we, we ran into them in London all the time. But yeah, this was a bit more, um, almost like Pop Believe Itself or something like that whenever this record came out. That's what it reminded us of. Mm -hmm. And we, I remember being quite shocked when we heard it because we, and Killer, Killer's a good record, you know, I mean, listening back to it, but um, I think we always remember them being a noise rock band and they kind of then turned a bit more poppy, a bit more, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I actually, you know, I, I went back, I listened to that record yesterday just because I listened to this song and I was like, oh, I might listen to the album. And I think, you know, we'd spoken about it on a podcast before previously, I think, you know, I'm not sure it's aged particularly well, but I quite, you know, again, I, I, I have a kind of nice sort of warm, fuzzy, nostalgic feeling for it. Um, they got pelted with mud at Reading. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, they got absolutely pelted with mud. Um, you know, uh, I do remember that. Um, but the singer, if you listen to it now, I did write down and listen to it again. He sounds yeah. like, if you listen to this again, the singer sounds like Jason Williamson from Sleaford Mods. He does actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I mean, and I love Sleaford Mods and that, that new track that's done with Orbital is amazing. But I was listening to this yesterday and thought, who does he remind me of, the singer of Collapse Song? And that's who it was, Jason Williamson. Yeah, he does actually. Yeah, they they've definitely got a bit of there's definitely a bit of that um, with him. I mean, this song um, feels like a kind of, especially for them, feels like a real proper novelty song. Yeah, you know, like this is as close as a kind of a novelty song as you're really going to get, unless it's an official England song mm. <laughs> or what we're about. Everything else we're about to talk about, essentially. Oh, but, yes. Um, I, you know, I I I don't mind this. I think they've got much better songs, Collapse Lung, but I think this is all you know for what it is as a kind of breakthrough thing i think it's all right what do you guys think of eat my goal as a as a song uh so for me um i also have quite a lot of, sort of warm fuzzy nostalgia for this song but it's not anything to do with football it's because it was um pretty omnipresent on smtv live in the in the late 90s so it just takes me back to Ant and Deck and Cat uh, talking to the wonky donkey and getting idiot kids ringing in going, like, you'll have a lion next to an ironing board and they'll be going like, oh, ha household um, household mammal. It's like, no, it's got a rhyme. Oh, um, God, uh, zebra shoes. Like, uh, so that's always fun. And Eat My Goal was on it a lot. Um, it's very silly, isn't it? It is everything that I dislike about um, England's Zari by Black Grape, but to the nth degree. And yet, and yet, it's... <sighs> It's hard to dislike it because it is deeply misguided. It is silly. It is quite poor. It is dated awfully. I would also say to this point as well, I think for me, this is the one that feels least like it's written from a fan perspective and purely for novelty purposes. But you know what? It, there, there's something about it that's just quite, I don't know, enjoyable. It feels like mates having a laugh, which uh, isn't, isn't that the spirit of football, Steve? Is that not the spirit of the beautiful game? Um, no. But no, yeah, it's about I mean, winning. Oh, okay. You have to win. <laughs> It's about gouging your rivals. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to be fair, musically, I do actually quite like the sort of warm tape decayed effect of that kind of 90s alt-rock hip-hop thing they're doing. Um, and yeah, and Anthony Chapman telling me to eat his goal, fine, whatever. Don't want to, but I'm not offended by it. So um, for that reason, because it gives me a kind of nice nostalgia, but is ostensibly rubbish, I've gone for my home team. This is Stafford Rangers. Fair. And this this is more fun. Listening to this song is more fun than going back to Stafford for the record. <laughs> Fair. Andy, what, what do you think of this song? 
I don't. I don't mind it. I mean, uh, I know what I know what Sam means about the fuzzy feeling because it was everywhere, wasn't it? it was it was like mm. a cola advert? I think there was. I think there was a football game that it was on as well. We used to have in the back of the tour bus. You know, it was one of the. If you were playing like a, a football game. It would have been on a Pro Evolution Soccer at the time FIFA. or something. Yeah, but it was on a screen saver. You know, if you didn't play the game, you went away for a while. It would be mm-hmm. like repeat. I seem to remember hearing it like that. And then, as I say, we used to sort of run into them before this song around Camden and Harlow. So, yeah, I, I don't mind it, but it is very, very of its time. You know, the drum beat and the kind of, it's, you know, Soccer AM. It reminds me of Soccer AM. Loaded Magazine. It's that kind of sort of like, yeah, not really hip-hop, hip-hop beat sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it was a team that would be either Harlow Town or Colchester United. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I've gone for a kind of plucky underdog because I feel like Collapse Lung, could, they could have been a good band and it just sort of never really happened for them. You know, like I say, they, they were pretty good at Reading. I quite like the album, but then they got bottled off and they had this kind of one novelty song. And so I've kind of gone for something which is like, I guess, a plucky underdog, which maybe isn't that attractive. So I've sort of said Burnley under Sean Dyche. <laughs> would, be, would, would be my suggestion for this as a team um so there you go collapse lungs uh eat my goal um let's move on i mean we're not deliberately going kind of downward i just think the quality of football songs <laughs> no, have, very much are going down <laughs> have just sort of decreased over the years vindaloo by fat les fat les is keith allen again again um alex james from blur and guy pratt who has played with pink floyd roxy music gary moore madonna and more. That is Fat Les. Um, this was the unofficial England anthem for the 1998 World Cup in France uh, that really, I think, ended up surpassing the official song, which I don't know if you've heard this, Sam. I don't know if you remember this, Andy, but the official England World Cup song was a song called How Does It Feel, open brackets, to be on top of the world, close brackets, by Echo and the Bunnymen and the Spice Girls. No, I remember that, yeah. and yeah, I remember. It left me kind of cold, that, and I'm a huge fan of Echo and the Bunnymen, and I actually don't want the Spice Girls, but yeah, I was quite excited when I heard that they were getting together, but it was kind of forgettable. Yeah, really boring song. And again, like, you know, everyone who listens knows, I fucking love Echo and the Bunnymen, but that was a total non-event of a song, that, and I'm not... I guess it's definitely not memorable. Um, it's not as memorable as what we're talking about in Vindaloo, but it probably is better. But this um, was released on the 8th of June, 1998. Got to number two on the UK single chart. Sold 600,000 copies going platinum in the UK, which is... I mean, imagine selling 600,000 copies of one song today. It's just mm, completely yeah. ridiculous. But uh, also got to number seven in Scotland. Bloody hell. Um for me, I'm just going to say it. I, I hate this. I hate, I hate it. I never liked it, and I still hate it. I feel exactly the same. I've always hated this song um, because while while there have been ones that we've done so far that've been quite daft, I think they've at least been quite nicely spirited. I feel like this is a really sneering, self-satisfied kind of uh, just quite grimy, looking down and poking fun at like working class football fans basically i think it's really unpleasant the way it kind of plays on the less savory aspects of football fandom you know in the kind of like appealing to or parodying that kind of like hooligan mentality and stuff but then you've got the the almost imperial kind of like marching beat to it and it's got that real smug self-satisfied thing that i hate about um 
right-wing English culture. It was like, oh, no, we are the best, actually. No, fuck you, fuck you. We are the best. And yet we consistently disappoint in, on the world stage in so many ways. Um, I fucking hate this song. I think it's absolute dog shit. Um, Keith Allen is deplorably bad. His delivery in the verses is pathetic. He's actually pathetic. And also quite nightmarish as well. With the dual-tracked vocals where he's doing the kind of... Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then you've got this weird kind of like in the background, him sort of shrieking them out like he's... I don't know, like fucking on a Swans record in the 90s or something like that. It's weird, <laughs> weird as anything. Um, it's nonsensical bollocks. Uh, Alex James' baseline is one of the dullest, most lumpen things I've heard this year. It's like he had to eke it out of a bass guitar that refused to be played. Um, I hate it. So there we go. Six out of ten then, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. five, five yeah, yeah. On, a, on a bad day. You know. Andy, what, what do you think of this song? Right. I was watching it again yesterday. I don't like the song, but I was trying to work out just how arch Keith Allen and his cohorts were being. Because there's another side of British culture which deals in the absurd and the grotesque. Right. And if you're looking at Hogarth's Gin Alley or the films of Derek Jarman or Peter Greenaway, I'm watching this again through that lens. There's that bit when they're doing the Bittersweet Symphony, they're walking down the street. Uh, it's somewhere like, is it Hagerston or wherever it is they are? But um, there's kind of these fat people that are powdered white. That's like something out of a, a Derek Jarman or a Peter Greenaway. I, mean, I kept kind of expecting Tilda Swinton to, to pop up at some point as well. <laughs> and I wondered if maybe that's what he was going for or if it was just a huge bunch of middle-aged guys came in it and then knocking this out. You know, I, I don't really know what they were trying to say. The song itself is grotesque, and that might be what they're trying to achieve. But as you've said, like Stephen, 600,000 copies, it tapped into something in the national psyche. And there's also that unpleasant episode where, I mean, he stormed off some chat show. That's yeah. where the title comes from, over political correctness. And as he went off, it was the writer, it was Farouk Dondi on a panel show, and he, he said, you've got not a chip in your shoulder, you've got Vindaloo in your shoulder, something like that. Mm -hmm. It's all very, very unsavory, and it, I don't know how much of it is written as a critique of a grotesque and absurd national psyche and celebrating that, or if it is just a massive mess made by a bunch of people out of their minds on cocaine. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably, for me, I'm leaning more towards the latter. I watched that clip, actually, because I was aware of that clip, but I couldn't really like recall it in my mind so i watched that clip of keith allen storming off that show and he just seems like such an arrogant obnoxious prick and what he says is so horrible like and he keeps he's like you've got vindaloo on your shoulder and then goes that's good that's a good joke that's a good joke you lot are dead you're dead inside that's a good joke and then he storms it's like mate it's like it's a shit thing to say and you doubling down on it yeah. makes you look like such a wanker and then you know 10 years later we've or however long it was we've got this song with matt lucas and david williams dressed as mash and peas and you know uh, what's his name paul k who was dennis pennis doing the kind of richard ashcroft thing right, yeah. and you know yeah like it's sort of i don't know if it's john waters or fucking you know the Rod Hull and Emu show. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, just, I don't yeah, know that's, that's where I was conflicted with. I don't know. You know, just how Archie actually is. Mm. But watching Keith Allen on that show and seeing um, Keith Allen just kind of crop up in numerous ones of—I mean, you know, this is the third song of eight that we've got where Keith Allen crops up. And I mean, you mm. know, I, I, I 
trade him in for James Corden. Uh, spoiler alert. But um, <laughs> but like you, you just think like Keith Allen, it, it just comes across as sort of an obnoxious chancer. Like in in all of these songs, you watch the video for World in Motion. He's just kind of mugging behind John's John Barnes. You watch the top of the pops of England Diary with Black Grape, and he's you know again just a bit embarrassing. And then you watch this, and I just think he just seemed like a massive tosser. And this song's shite, and it's you know it's just the sort of it feels like a big like you say to me it does feel like a big like a laddie, jigonistic, massive middle finger. Um, it doesn't really feel like a celebration. It only feels like, a, like you say, kind of a bit sneery. And it's not, mm. it take it, it's not actually a good, it's not a catchy, I mean, is it, I suppose it is catchy because you can all, you can probably all recall it in your head now, but it's not actually a, a good hook or a good, like it's not a good song, is it? Even if it was kind of obnoxious, there are obnoxious songs that are still good songs. This isn't a good song. Sure, it's definitely not actually a good song, is it? Surely. No. It's a nursery rhyme. It's got the same, it follows the same cadence as a nursery rhyme. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't like this. I mean, for me, if this were a team, it would be classic 1980s, early 90s, uh, yeah, late 80s, early 90s Wimbledon. That's what I was going to say. The crazy yeah. Guy, yeah. Yeah, successful through sheer obnoxiousness yeah uh, for me you off the pitch get it in the mix kick lumps out the other <laughs> yeah horrible what about you getting blast during your dress room as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's why he's funny um Vinny, Dave Besant, yeah. <laughs> what have you said sam as a team well this is going to be my most controversial one definitely and this is purely going off what i have heard from other people and taken as red given my utter ambivalence to football i mean i'm glad you picked up on that kind of the obnoxious, I mean, I would say kind of pretension of it. They're trying to maybe, I, I feel when I listen to this song, they're trying to adopt an aesthetic that even though we know Keith Allen is, you know, a massive football fan, still feel like he's kind of sneering. He's trying to kind of get into something. He's trying to worm his way into something that he's no longer a part of. Um, so based on what all of my friends who like football have told me, um, I've had to go for the team with the fewest fans from the actual city they're based in. So it's Man United, isn't it? Oh, Oh, controversial. Yeah, but you know, there you go. I'm not. If, I'm... if you don't like that, um, well, I'm just going to say I'll pa- I'll pass on the message to my mate Andy because he's definitely said that to me before. So yeah, fine, fair, okay. I mean, I'm I'm not bothered about sticking up for Manchester United to be honest. I'm sure <laughs> as a Chelsea fan, you're not either, really, are you, Andy? So, <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll allow it. Um, Thanks. Let's move on. All right, we're getting to the real dregs now. We're on mm. the ball by Ant and Deck, released on the 27th of May 2002, the official England World Cup song for the Japan and South Korean World Cup. It reached number three on the UK singles chart. It didn't seem to chart anywhere else in the whole world, which which is weird. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I watched the video for this, and Ant and Deck, uh, they're not. Uh. They're not very funny they're really funny now they're a lot funnier now than they were then i mean that wasn't funny that was no. desperation mm. yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty bad video um and it's maybe an even worse song i mean it's like the worst special song ever made it's like, do you know what i mean it's absolutely 
Tell I can't you. remember a thing about it. I can't remember a thing about the music whatsoever. I know that he mentioned Samuel. Sorry, Sam. He mentioned Samuel Hesky at one point, scoring five. Mm. <laughs> I don't. I think don't they? Don't they mention him? Yeah, it's uh, and and Hesky makes it five. So it's it's um Neville to Rio, Rio to Terry, Terry to Scolzi, Scolzi to Bex, Bex <laughs> up to Hesky, Hesky to Owen. It's absolutely. <laughs> rubbish like Ant and Dex be like oh Scolzy Skull, me old mate Skull, oh Bex and Scolzy like your mates with the fucking England football team and in the video they dress up as Sven and um, you know like we're going off to the left all the, like, the, the where is Padil and Skinner and yeah. yeah where is Padil and Skinner you know when they mention they seem to be mentioning football as in oh do you remember when you know Nobby dancing you know Bobby Belt in the ball um that tackle by more like real kind of reverence for it and they feel like actual football fans and there's that like melancholy about being an England fan where uh it's probably not going to work out for us but we you know we keep sort of believing we keep coming back whereas this is just like yeah we're gonna we're mates with what's his name Scott Scolzy we're mates with Scolzy <laughs> <laughs> like fuck off it's <laughs> so bad this it's so bad um Sam yeah. Um, so I, ju- I just, uh, when we talked about Collapse Long, spoke quite fondly of Anton Deck's tenure on SMTV Live. Um, this is appalling. This is so pathetic. I mean, you say the worst special song that's ever been written. This is fucking Bob the Builder, mate. This is <laughs> dog shit. Send, send an SOS. The country's in need. Sven's the man. He's got a plan. We found a super Swede. The time has come to kick it. Can we kick it? Yes, we can. Oh my fucking god! You pathetic pieces of shit! You actually put this out. Um, I don't have loads to say on it apart from it's shit. Um, I like the bit where they're asking John Motson if the song will be a hit because I think that sums up everything about this. And as you say, Steve, this is not a song written out of adoration for football or being a fan of um the English national team or anything like that. This is a cynical cash grab um, and I am devastated that the Pirate Bay didn't launch a year earlier to stop this from even going silver in the UK. Fuck this. Yeah, it's really, really bad. I mean, that bit with like, is it going to be a hit, Motti? And then there's like a sample of John Motson going, oh, yes, I'll tell you what. Yeah. If, you're, if you're listening, you'll work for a record label. Do not hire John Motson as your A&R man because he cannot, <laughs> he cannot tell a hit at all. This is bad. Um yeah. Andy, anything else to add to this song or you want to bring up? No, it's, it's just dreadful. Um, I, I just, I couldn't hear anything in it and you hit it on the head there about like kind of the, the sort of pally nicknames and everything. At least with Bedina Skinner, it, was, it almost sounded like people talking in the pub post-match. This mm. sounds, it's it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, it's twinny, Bobby. It's, mm. it's awful. It's really bad. It's really quite yeah. bad. If it were a team, it would be a non-league team and a team that have never played league football before. So I've gone for Haven't and Waterlooville, who uh, <laughs> I've got no beef with, but they're not very good. Um, you guys got a comparative team that you would compare this song to? Uh, it would be somebody like, uh, in the Ar- Northern Irish League, it would be Harland and Wolf Welders. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go on sam uh so for me um i feel this is this is basically one to kind of say steve um so i spent my adolescence in norwich um during which time i think anton deck it's fair to say um lowered themselves in my estimations almost minute by minute uh and of course growing up in norwich 
you have to hate Ipswich as a rule. And I know Steve hates Ipswich. And this is not the worst thing that we're talking about today. But it's not far off, so it's Ipswich Town FC just for you, Steve. Well, do you know what? I don't hate Ipswich. I just hate their bloody fans. Oh, yeah, no, it's just that one bloke it's just on Twitter, that one isn't bloke, it? Yeah. The tractor right. boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I, actually, I actually like Ipswich. I did used to like Ipswich as a team because, you know, like they were always a really, you know, they were good when I was growing up. They're a good team. And, but we just, they, they were always our bogey team and we, right. never, we never beat them. And then we became their bogey team. And, and anyway. It's not that interesting if you're not a fan. If you listen to this podcast for, for the music and you've got me talking about like League One football, then you're going to be livid this week, aren't you? But I'm, I apologise. So <laughs> let's not talk about Ipswich. Don't worry, I, I'm here to lower the tone. It's fine. Yeah, uh, there you go. Um, we're on the ball, Brant and Deck. Right, last one that we're going to be talking about. Shout, open brackets. Come on, England. Close bracket, brackets by Dizzy Rascal and James Corden. Released on the 9th of June... 2010 this is unbelievably england's song for the 2010 world cup in south africa uh got to number one in the uk singles chart also reached number 38 in ireland which is much better much much better i think um it was knocked off the top of the charts by katie perry's california girls which is that is a good song yeah it's how life should be uh it actually beat (laughs) songs like frisky by tiny temper and waving the flag by canaan to be crowned the official England song. I don't know either of those songs, but if they're worse than this, fucking hell. <laughs> fucking hell. Um, I always wondered if there was an alternate universe where Disturbed's cover of Tears for Fears' Shout was not the worst version of that song. Yeah, Little yeah. did I know I was living in that alternate universe because <laughs> this is bad, right? Oh, it's awful. I mean, this is from the man that, that wrote I Love You, one of the best, most adventurous pieces of sonic music ever made in the last 30 years. And um, I, I mean, I must say, hands up, I hated everything about the 2010 South African World Cup. You know, I watched all of it, you know, the Vuvuzelas, it was like water torture, it was horrendous. Yeah. That performance, I mean, I watched that performance where when they could beat 4-1 by Germany and Lampard hit the bar, he had a goal disallowed, it was clearly over, with one of the worst cider hangovers I've ever had in my life. So the whole thing, and this just is the, the, sh- the shit on top of the shit cake. This is awful. And I, I don't know. I mean, the Tears for Fears, who I actually quite like, they've managed to make it very unpleasant in this as well. And it, it's just, it's another one of those ones that, what was the track we talked about earlier? Was it the Black Pearl one where they've just got a lot of bits of crap sitting around the studio and just put it all together? Yeah, and they do actually put the line coming over go if you think you're hard enough in it as well, mm. which is unforgivable. The football song, I mean, that's just like that's the kind of thing a child would do. It's awful, <laughs> <laughs> awful. I mean, this is shout for tears by Tears for Fears, which is brilliant, and it's also got the piano part from No Diggity mm. and the beat from No Diggity. So it's got two brilliant songs, and like you say, Dizzy Rascal, who's great. Yeah, you know, Boy in the Corner, what a great album. And then six years later, he's hanging out with Smithy from Gavin and Stacey. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, some of the lyrics on this, it's a terrible, like, you know, 1966 and all that. Jeff Hurst smacking it. I can't remember <laughs> it. It's like, oh, God, do you have to bloody mention that again? Mm. And that's all you've got. I mean, it's rubbish. I, I did, I will say, not only did I watch the video for this, which <clears throat> is just Dizzy Rascal and James Corden, sitting with a bunch of football fans around them with clips of 
England sort of struggling to break down <laughs> Poland at Wembley alongside them. They've not tried to make a good video at all. Also, just before the World Cup, James Corden did a sketch on Comet Relief as Smithy uh, from Gavin and Stacey, where he went into the England team hotel and gave them a team talk. And he does the John Barnes rap in that. And it was so, I was so kind of like vicariously embarrassed for him for what was going on as he stood in front of John Terry and David Beckham and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard and Peter Crouch and these, you know, these millionaire footballers and he sort of made bad jokes at his expense. I, 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 my sphincter tightened so much I thought it was going to cause some kind of gravitational pull. I mean, I actually <laughs> enjoyed watching England get beat 4-1 by the Germans more than I watched, than I did enjoy watching James Corden try and do a sketch like mugging the England players it is hideous everything about this is just hideous it is mm. just it makes me think I hate I don't like music you know or football or, <laughs> or being alive like I, I hate it so much um it's just run out of steam hasn't it I mean that it's taken the football song to the point where there's nothing left to say I think that and it's there's, there's nothing redeeming about it whatsoever. It, I mean, as you say, no, no diggity and shout are just worthless, worthless bits of binary digital in this. That's all it is. That's what's been registered. Mm. Sam, go on. What do you reckon? Um, there was a point when I was um, sort of A-being this and Anthem Deck where I thought, well, at least it does have the melody of Shout by Tears for Fears, which is a great song. And then I just realised that, you know, essentially with James Corden's sort of football-y, lad-bantery ad-libs, come on, England, you can do it. Kick the ball. Go on, lads. You can do it. <laughs> what they've done is they've actually um, mutilated the still living body of a beautiful, wonderful song. Um, they, this is the, the vivisection of synth-pop um, sold as... Uh, a cynical promotional single for fucking wankers, basically. I hate it. I hate it so One saving grace, though, I have to point out about this, is that all royalties from this went to create Ormond Hospital. Okay, well, fair enough. I mean, that is the one, one good thing about this. That is the redeeming feature, yeah. Fair enough to them for that. But... Um, couldn't you have written a good song? You might have raised more money for them. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the thing with charity songs, isn't it? You feel bad slagging them off. But I'm happy to give the the, the same amount of... I'm happy to give twice as much money to that charity. If, if, if there was a press release that came out and said, James Corden is thinking of doing a cover of Shout for England, uh, for, their, for the World Cup, and all the proceeds will go to Great Ormond Street... You can buy that single when it comes out and it'll be four ninety nine and they'll get it, or you can pay eight pound now to stop him from making it. Yeah. <laughs> I would definitely give them the eight pounds. Definitely. Um it's it's very bad. And um I was thinking about what, what team this, this would be. And I think this would be England prior to Gareth Southgate taking over. It's got a lot of big names in it but they're all hugely dislikable. This is like England in 2006, <laughs> where you're like, I hate Ashley Cole, I hate John Terry, I hate Steven Gerrard, I, like, I, hate, all, like, I hate all of these people. Um, and they seem like, you know, hot, pampered millionaire bastards with the wags and all that. And there was a period where I, was like, I just, 
and it, they flopped massively at every tournament and that's what this song is to me it's not it's so bad that it's not even just a bad team it's like causes me actual sort of physical pain to 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 imagine it, it's really bad uh, yeah i mean uh i think <laughs> yours um holds some you know some more deep-seated um deep-seated feeling behind your uh your choice, Steve, because I just Googled worst football team in the world. So <laughs> this song for me is the San Marino national football team. My rationale for that is this team, they have an average goal concession of 4.2 per match. They've won one match, which was a friendly against Liechtenstein uh, on April 28, 2004, where they won 1-0, which is the same amount of times James Corden has ever made me laugh. <laughs> One whole time. So, that's, that's yeah, yeah. And it was uh, when he got caught out for nicking off Gervais's joke wholesale and looked like a blathering idiot. So. <laughs> right, fair. Um, if you had to compare this to a team, Andy, you've got one that you compare it to? Well, I don't even think this is... It deserves to be mentioned in the same sentence as football. <laughs> fair point. I wouldn't even... The lowest of the low, even Tottenham, I wouldn't say this This song was like them. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of... I don't, I don't think... Um, I don't think it deserves to be compared to any football team. It's so it's so fucking terrible. Yeah, it's bad. It is bad. So there you go. That was a quick kind of run through the history of some football songs. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope maybe some of you have um, uh, uh, learned a little bit about you know about football and maybe i mean i don't want to encourage anyone really to win, win the world cup just as an aside andy um i know you're not going to watch the world cup do you have a prediction for who you think might win this world cup even though you're not that fussed about it uh i think france might yeah. be sure they should do i think they've got a better team spirit when they get together i think some of the players will show up for the country um maybe germany if they admit germany but i think I, I, between france and germany be my show okay what about England? How do you think they'll get on? Um, I'm fearing for England, but I think if they get off to a good start in the group stages, they might be all right. I don't think they'll get as far as the semis. I think quarterfinals. Mm, yeah, that seems about right. So have you got a prediction for the old... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think the smart money's on Iran. I think this is this is their year. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then they get to host it next time, which would be great as well. So, well, that's does not, it that's does not, it work like no, that? Is not like Eurovision. It's not like Eurovision, no. Okay, <laughs> no, no. Um, we talk about Eurovision instead. I know more about that. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Eurovision another time. Um, for my money, just if you're interested, uh, actually, I actually want to say actually, I've correctly predicted the winner of every World Cup since 2002 prior to the tournament starting. So I've got that octopus wow. has been ripping off your bloody shtick. Yeah, I know. Pull the octopus. What a yeah, like, honestly, like, and I'm not, I've got no reason to make that, but I did. I said Brazil in 2002. Everyone thought I was mad for saying Italy in 2006, but I just thought the Calipoli scandal was going to actually galvanize them, and it did. Spain was a bit obvious. I think Germany was probably quite obvious. And, you know, France, they, I just think, again, on paper, they look, I, I did. I was between France and Belgium last time, and I thought Belgium strike me as the sort of team who will never win anything. So I went for France. I have a feeling. Brazil are going to win it because it's and there's not really a lot to back that up other than the fact that they haven't won it for it will be this is 20 years since they won it and Brazil rarely go you know more than about two decades without winning the World Cup and uh, you know I think they've got they've got the, maybe the best goalkeeper in the tournament 
uh, and they've got a hell of a lot of firepower. And I think I don't know. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna blag their way through. I've just got. I, I, it's. I, this is not based on anything other than just a hunch, because I know they're not. You know, this is not a, a kind of a classic Brazil team. But I just got a feeling that in the the kind of the altitude, the altitude, and the you know the, where it's being played, I, I just got a feel. It's got a funny feeling that Brazil are gonna do it. So we'll see. We'll see. I would, say I, I would like them to. If that was the outcome, I'd like that actually, because they still really hurt. What year was it? They got absolutely battered by Germany in the semi-final. Two thousand four. Oh, and I think that really damaged the psyche of the country to a certain extent as well. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their defense is not the best. I don't think. I mean, I know obviously Thiago Silva was a great, but he's but he's, he's thirty. He's, yeah. he's thirty-eight years old. I think that's quite. a a big burden and Danny Alves is back in the squad as well I think that's you know that's quite a burden on players of that age in, the, in a mid-season tournament but anyway anyway enough about that that's what we think uh, thanks for listening everyone Andy thank you so much for coming on thanks for having us on folks great to have this chat it's been brilliant thank you yeah it's been really really lovely having you on it's been um, a, a lot of fun and um, March new therapy album with mm-hmm. Hard Cold Fire March Marshall Records yeah very much looking forward to that and uh maybe we'll have you back on to talk more about that rather than this um silly nonsense (laughs) we've been talking about this week but uh thanks for listening everyone we'll see you next time goodbye and um play at pompey